you can now support me financially with a small monthly donation. If you do, I pledge to use your money to buy yarn and coffee. Follow the link in my Instagram bio or in this episode's description to learn more. Thank you and enjoy today's episode. Hello, friends. Welcome to Crocheting Through Medical History. I am Maria, your host. Full disclaimer, it is past nine o'clock on Wednesday night, so this comes out tomorrow. Um, And if you know me, you know that I would much rather be in bed, if not asleep, at this time. So this is how the day worked out. Um, We're going to get through it, though. Uh, It is also Gimli's crackhead hour, so he's probably going to be doing zoomies around. Um, Hopefully he won't be too disruptive, and Ponyo is going to town on this frisbee toy. He is trying to destroy it. So, all in all, maybe not the best, but... Oh my gosh. Um, anyway, let's just get started. Today, we're talking about hemophilia, which is a condition in which a person's blood has a reduced ability to clot, causing, um, which causes even a minor bleed to be very dangerous to their health. And today I am crocheting a red blood cell, um, but I don't have just like normal red yarn. So I'm using sparkly red yarn uh, with tinsel. So it will be a very, very fancy red blood cell. Um, I hope you will enjoy it looking at it. I also, my yarn, this yarn, it was not rolled right. I don't know what I did to it, um, but it is literally just, like, loose in a pile on my bed, and I'm crocheting from it. I'll post a picture to just show how chaotic it is, and that just is kind of the vibe tonight. So, hopefully it doesn't show through too much. Sorry, I should have made this magic ring before we started. I, like, can't count to six now. Okay. There we have six. Let's... Get a stitch marker. Um, this week has been kind of hectic because I am still slightly sick, but I'm mostly not sick now. A month later, literally. So I've been trying to catch up on like the things I've been putting off for the past month since I feel mostly human and capable of doing things. And it has kind of wiped me out. So, very sleepy. But I'm excited about this topic. So hopefully that will keep me awake. Um, my own... My own... What? My only... Only. That's the word I'm looking for. My only personal experience with hemophilia is when I was like 13 or 14, maybe I babysat a kid with hemophilia and he was is this little chaotic redhead boy that just had the energy that I have never and will never be able to match in my life um and then it was like the first one of the first kids I'd ever babysat so I was just terrified that he was gonna like climb a tree and then fall down and crack his head open and bleed to death and that I wouldn't be able to do anything about it 
Um, but that didn't happen, luckily, and I have not seen him in many years. I hope he's doing well and calmed down a bit and is not quite so chaotic um, because it was just real stressful for my tiny self. But enough of that. Um, so, oh, going back to this red blood cell, though, I'm going to be trying to freehand it. Um, because I feel real confident this week because I started writing my own, my first, um, own pattern for my, myself. It kind of just happened. I was like, I want to make this thing, but I can't find a great pattern. Um, so I just started crocheting and it's going okay. So I'm writing it down and hopefully it will continue to be okay. Um, so that gave me real confidence for this that is probably unwarranted. Um, it probably won't go super well, but I'm going to try. And maybe if it's cute, I'll make it a pattern. Anyway, though. Uh, oh, um, tune into my Instagram, Crocheting Through History, to see the finished Red Bledsall. Also to see the picture that I took of the yarn that just looks like it died. It is bleeding to death just sitting there Ponyo can you chill he's not chilling so um that's fun okay let's get into it so Ponyo bless you <laughs> he just froze when I said his name all right hemophilia was first thought to be mentioned in the Talmud a collection of Jewish laws and teaching and in the Bible a story in the New Testament describes a woman that sought to touch Jesus' robes after hemorrhaging for 12 years, which sounds like hemophilia or some sort of bleeding disorder. And then um, in 2nd century AD, the Talmud outlines a law in which baby boys are not required to be circumcised if they have had two brothers that have previously died from the tradition um, by bleeding to death, likely. Uh, so that's fun. A little further on in the 10th century, the Arabian physician Abu Qasim described male relatives that uncontrollably bled to death after physical trauma. So just people bleeding or bleeding to death or dying of bleeding in the olden days um, was a big, maybe not a big thing, but it was a thing that happened I've already lost count in this circle. We'll see if this works. In the 1800s, Philadelphia physician John Conrad Otto realized that this bleeding condition, primarily affecting men, ran in certain families. He traced the line back to a female from Plymouth, New Hampshire in 1720 and named those suffering from the condition bleeders. In 1813, Otto published an article claiming that male bleeders could pass the condition through their female children, though their daughters were not affected by the condition, but they could pass it on to their own children. Fifteen years later, a student and professor at the University of Zurich named the disease hemorophilia, and it has now been shortened to simply hemophilia. Queen Victoria, ruler of England from 1838 to 1901, 
is believed to have been a carrier of the disease as three of her nine children seem to have had the condition or carried it. Her son, Leopold, died at age 30 after a fall, causing a hemorrhage, and her daughters passed the condition on to their children, um, one of which was Alexei, son of Alex and the Tsar Nicholas of Russia, um, who they were killed from Rasputin. It's the whole Anastasia story. Um, one of those boys had the condition. Uh, so it is sometimes known as the royal disease since it ran in this family for three generations after Queen Victoria. So that's fun. In the 19th and started the 20th century, there was no way to safely store blood um, that would have been necessary to successfully treat bleeding patients with hemophilia. And because of this, these bleeding patients often received transfusions of whole blood freshly donated by a family member. Even so, though the life expectancy for a boy with hemophilia was only 13 years, again, it was a boy because the girls didn't have symptoms. They were simply carriers of the disease in their genes. In the 1920s, Finnish physician Eric von Willebrand described a similar condition, which he called pseudo-hemophilia, which affected men and women equally. While the conditions are similar, this disease, now named von Willebrand disease, is distinctly different from hemophilia. In lieu of blood transfusions in the 1990s, um, earlier in the 1900s, treatment for hemophilia included lime, hydrogen peroxide, gelatin, and inhaled oxygen. Some of those, I don't understand how it works. Like gelatin, yes, that like coagulates, whatever. Did they just inject it? I don't know. I didn't research that much. I hope not because that sounds gross and dangerous. But if it worked, good for them. In the 1920s and 30s, treatment for hemophilia expanded to diluted snake venom, whole blood transfusions to replace the missing clotting factors, and plasma infusions, including an anti-hemophilia globulin, which is um, a clotting thing, I think. In 1947, Argentinian physician Alfredo Pavlovsky discovered that there were two types of hemophilia, A and B, and um, there are now known to be deficiencies in different clotting factors. I didn't go into all that. I knew I wouldn't understand it, and I figured you probably wouldn't either. So, um, sorry if you want that. I was not that committed this week, and that's okay. Um, but yeah, there are two different types that were deficiencies in separate clotting factors. In the mid-1900s, plasma donations were able to be frozen for infusions as they were needed. Um, I lost my spot. Oh, so, um, but the low concentration of clotting factors in those donations meant that they needed very large volumes of plasma to be infused to be helpful 
so several or severe joint bleeds and intracranial hemorrhages were still fatal and the life expectancy of those with severe hemophilia was still under 20 years so slightly better than 30 or 13 but still not very old low clotting factors in plasma were was no longer a problem in 1965 when Dr. Judith Graham Poole of Stanford University discovered the precipitate 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 left from thought plasma had large amounts of clotting factor meaning my goodness um meaning a smaller amount was needed to have the same effect as just straight plasma and this cryoprecipitate could now be used to control severe bleeds as well as make elective procedures an option for hemophilia patients i am so sleepy right now and i'm trying very hard to get through this so i can go to bed um sorry for that interruption i needed a drink I'm getting scratchy in my throat. But now, we will continue. Um, so, in the next 10 years after um, this cryoprecipitate was discovered, clotting factors were able to be freeze-dried. This was monumental for people living with hemophilia as these free freeze-dried factors could be stored and used at home rather than needing hospital care to support even minor bleeds. As medicine continued to develop, it was unfortunately discovered that HIV and AIDS were transmissible through blood and blood products, which were a crucial aspect of hemophilia survival. By this time, about half of the population with hemophilia was found to be HIV positive, and thousands of them died as a result. Similarly, hepatitis C virus, or HCV, was also discovered to be transmissible through blood products around this time. And before HCV testing began, over 40% of people with hemophilia were infected. So that was all very sad. Um... But luckily, we know it now, so we can keep them safe, them and anyone else who needs blood transfusions or plasma donations or any of that. Treatment of hemophilia and other bleeding disorders advanced dramatically in the 1990s, partially due to the newly known need to screen blood products for infectious agents. Along with this development, synthetic drugs and clotting factors were also made available to the treatment of hemophilia. In the mid-1990s, prophylactic treatment became available for hemophilia, and children with the condition were given this preventative care two to three times weekly, which decreased their pain and bodily harm and consequently increased their quality of life. Some children developed antibodies against the the infused factors used, but this problem was resolved in 1997 with alternative treatment methods. Today, hemophilia treatment has advanced to require prophylactic treatment only once a week at most, and differing infusion methods, including delivering vectors or viruses into the, or viruses that are carrying the antibodies, antibodies, clotting factors. Um, into the liver. 
so they could more effectively defend against the condition. Historical figures that had hemophilia, they're actually some of them this time. Um, they, is, there's Queen Victoria, as I mentioned, and her heirs, including Alexei Nikolovich. There is actor Richard Burton, activist and cyclist Barry Hard, Hardy, and child actor Ryan Wyatt. I would like to thank the National Hemophilia Foundation for the very comprehensive article that I got this information from, as well as all the doctors and researchers that have committed themselves to the bettering of people with hemophilia and other bleeding conditions. Thank you to you for helping people stay alive and have some quality of life. That is all. I'm so sleepy. I'm gonna go to bed now. I hope y'all have a good day. I guess I just, I now I just want to talk about my crochet stuff since I did last week. You might have seen on my Instagram, Crocheting Through History, that I made a little Totoro stuffy. He is like six inches tall and very round and squishable. Um, I made him because there's a little toddler girl at my church that like cries every time she looks at me and I want to be her friend. So I made her this Totoro because she likes Totoro because I want her to like me and have positive associations. So um, hopefully that works. I'll, we'll, we'll see. Like I said, I'm also working on another pattern, my first original pattern. We'll see how it goes. I needed some more supplies to finish it. Um, that I got from Joanne's today, so I got some yarn and some other stuff that will be helpful with that. I will keep you updated on that on my Instagram, um, and maybe I'll post my yarn. They had some good sales, so I got more than I intended, but for the same price, so that's fun. Still working on the hat for my father-in-law. It is becoming more bearable. It's not quite as tedious. I loosened my stitches a little bit, which has made it much less of a workout to work on. So that has been good. Um, I also have been experimenting with some velvet yarn that I have. Um, it's kind of hard to work with. Somehow it's worse than just blanket yarn. So I haven't made anything... Um, good yet <laughs> that has successfully worked but I will I'll get there there was something else oh next week I will be talking about fibromyalgia at request of my mother-in-law because she has fibro I have been avoiding it she's been asking for it um and I've been avoiding it because I feel like even the people Tanya, can you calm down for a second, please? Sorry, I feel like even the people that understand fibromyalgia don't understand it. Like, that's the thing, that it cannot be understood. Um, So I've been procrastinating getting into it because I feel like I'm just going to be very confused. But it will be a good learning experience, and I am interested to know more because I really don't know that much about it. Um, but I got people in my life that I love living with it, so I would like to know more about it. I also have been coming up 
with some other topic ideas that I'm very excited about. I'm not going to share them yet, so it's going to be a surprise. At least a one-week surprise, if not a day of surprise. But I'm very excited for some of them. Thank you to those people who have been giving me suggestions. I'm also keeping those in a growing list. (laughs) It's getting rather long. I feel like I record one episode and then I add like three more topics, which is good. Now I have options to choose from and that's very helpful so that I can switch things up and go in different veins of topics and conditions. Um, yeah, hopefully next week I will actually record earlier in the day so I can be more alive and maybe less froggy in my voice. Um, sorry that Gimli and Ponyo have been real loud through this. I'm kind of scared to listen back and see what kind of noises they've been making. Because Ponyo has been chewing on all his toys. And Gimli has not been yelling, surprisingly. So that's good. Um, yes. I'm gonna go to bed now. Have a wonderful Thursday or whatever day you're listening to this. Tune in next time. Stay healthy. Yeah. Have a good day. Bye-bye.